Section 3 of State of the Union Addresses, 1829 to 1836. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. State of the Union Address, Andrew Jackson, December 6, 1830. Part 1. Fellow Citizens of the Senate, and of the House of Representatives. The pleasure I have in congratulating you upon your return to your constitutional duties is much heightened by the satisfaction which the condition of our beloved country at this period justly inspires. The beneficent author of all good has granted to us during the present year health, peace, and plenty, and numerous causes for joy in the wonderful success which attends the progress of our free institutions with a population unparalleled in its increase and possessing a character which combines the hardihood of enterprise with the considerateness of wisdom we see in every section of our happy country a steady improvement in the means of social intercourse and correspondent effects upon the genius and laws of our extended republic the apparent exceptions to the harmony of the prospect are to be referred rather to inevitable diversities in the various interests which enter into the composition of so extensive a whole than any want of attachment to the union interests whose collisions serve only in the end to foster the spirit of conciliation and patriotism so essential to the preservation of that union which i most devoutly hope is destined to prove imperishable in the midst of these blessings we have recently witnessed changes in the conditions of other nations which may in their consequences call for the utmost vigilance, wisdom, and unanimity in our councils, and the exercise of all the moderation and patriotism of our people. The important modifications of their government, effected with so much courage and wisdom by the people of France, afford a happy presage of their future course and have naturally elicited from the kindred feelings of this nation that spontaneous and universal burst of applause in which you have participated. In congratulating you, my fellow citizens, upon an event so auspicious to the dearest interests of mankind, I do no more than respond to the voice of my country without transcending in the slightest degree that salutary maxim of the illustrious washington which enjoins in abstinence from all interference with the internal affairs of other nations from a people exercising in the most unlimited degree the right of self-government and enjoying as derived from this proud characteristic under the favor of heaven much of the happiness with which they are blessed a people who can point in triumph to their free institutions and challenge comparison with the fruits they bear as well as with the moderation 
intelligence, and energy with which they are administered, from such a people, the deepest sympathy was to be expected in a struggle for the sacred principles of liberty, conducted in a spirit every way worthy of the cause, and crowned by a heroic moderation which has disarmed revolution of its terrors. Notwithstanding the strong assurances which the man whom we so sincerely love and justly admire has given to the world of the high character of the present king of the French, and which, if sustained to the end, will secure to him the proud appellation of patriot king. It is not in his success, but in that of the great principle which has borne him to the throne, the paramount authority of the public will, that the American people rejoice. I am happy to inform you that the anticipations which were indulged at the date of my last communication on the subject of our foreign affairs have been fully realized in several important particulars. An arrangement has been effected with Great Britain in relation to the trade between the United States and her West India and North American colonies, which has settled a question that has for years afforded matter for contention and almost uninterrupted discussion, and has been the subject of no less than six negotiations, in a manner which promises results highly favorable to the parties. The abstract right of Great Britain to monopolize the trade with her colonies, or to exclude us from a participation therein, has never been denied by the United States. But we have contended, and with reason, that if at any time Great Britain may desire the productions of this country as necessary to her colonies, they must be received upon principles of just reciprocity. And further, that it is making an invidious and unfriendly distinction to open her colonial ports to the vessels of other nations and close them against those of the United States. Antecedently to 1794, a portion of our productions was admitted into the colonial islands of Great Britain by particular concessions, limited to the term of one year, but renewed from year to year. In the transportation of these productions, however, our vessels were not allowed to engage, this being a privilege reserved to British shipping, by which alone our produce could be taken to the islands and theirs brought to us in return. From Newfoundland and her continental possessions, all our productions, as well as our vessels, were excluded, with occasional relaxations, by which, in seasons of distress, the former were admitted in British bottoms. By the treaty of 1794, she offered to concede to us, for a limited time, the right of carrying to her West India possessions in our vessels not exceeding 70 tons burthen, and upon the same terms as British vessels, any productions of the United States which British vessels might import therefrom. But this privilege was coupled with conditions, 
which are supposed to have led to its rejection by the Senate. That is, the American vessels should land their return cargoes in the United States only, and moreover, that they should, during the continuance of the privilege, be precluded from carrying molasses, sugar, coffee, cocoa, or cotton, either from those islands or from the United States to any other part of the world. Great Britain readily consented to expunge this article from the treaty, and subsequent attempts to arrange the terms of the trade, either by treaty stipulations or concerted legislation, have failed. It has been successively suspended and allowed according to the varying legislation of the parties. The following are the prominent points, which have in later years separated the two governments. Besides a restriction whereby all importations into her colonies in American vessels are confined to our own products carried hence, a restriction to which it does not appear that we have ever objected, a leading object on the part of Great Britain has been to prevent us from becoming the carriers of British West India commodities to any other country than our own. On the part of the United States, it has been contended, first, that the subject should be regulated by treaty stipulation in preference to separate legislation, second, that our productions, when imported into the colonies in question, should not be subject to higher duties than the productions of the mother country or of her other colonial possessions, and third, that our vessels should be allowed to participate in the circuitous trade between the United States and different parts of the British dominions. The first point, after having been for a long time strenuously insisted upon by Great Britain, was given up by the Act of Parliament of July 1825. All vessels suffered to trade with the colonies, being permitted to clear from thence with any articles which British vessels might export and proceed to any part of the world, Great Britain and her dependencies alone excepted. On our part, each of the above points had in succession been explicitly abandoned in negotiations, preceding that of which the result is now announced. This arrangement secures to the United States every advantage asked by them, and which the state of the negotiation allowed us to insist upon. The trade will be placed upon a footing decidedly more favorable to this country than any on which it ever stood, and our commerce and navigation will enjoy in the colonial ports of Great Britain every privilege allowed to other nations. That the prosperity of the country, so far as it depends on this trade, will be greatly promoted by the new arrangement, there can be no doubt. Independently of the more obvious advantages of an open and direct intercourse, its establishment will be attended with other consequences of a higher value. That which has been carried on since the mutual interdict under all the expense and inconvenience unavoidably incident to it would have been insupportably onerous had it not been in a great degree lightened by concerted evasions 
in the mode of making the transshipments at what are called the neutral ports. These indirections are inconsistent with the dignity of nations that have so many motives, not only to cherish feelings of mutual friendship, but to maintain such relations as will stimulate their respective citizens and subjects to efforts of direct, open, and honorable competition only, and preserve them from the influence of seductive and vitiating circumstances. When your preliminary interposition was asked at the close of the last session, a copy of the instructions under which Mr. McLean has acted, together with the communications which had at that time passed between him and the British government, was laid before you. Although there has not been anything in the acts of the two governments which requires secrecy, it was thought most proper in the then state of the negotiation to make that communication a confidential one. So soon, however, as the evidence of execution on the part of Great Britain is received, the whole matter shall be laid before you, when it will be seen that the apprehension which appears to have suggested one of the provisions of the Act passed at your last session, that the restoration of the trade in question might be connected with other subjects and was sought to be obtained at the sacrifice of the public interest in other particulars was wholly unfounded and that the change which has taken place in the views of the british government has been induced by considerations as honorable to both parties as i trust the result will prove beneficial this desirable result was it will be seen, greatly promoted by the liberal and confiding provisions of the Act of Congress of the last session, by which our ports were upon the reception and annunciation by the President of the required assurance on the part of Great Britain forthwith opened to her vessels, before the arrangement could be carried into effect on her part pursuing in this act of prospective legislation a similar course to that adopted by Great Britain in abolishing, by her Act of Parliament in 1825, a restriction then existing and permitting our vessels to clear from the colonies on their return voyages for any foreign country whatever before British vessels had been relieved from the restriction imposed by our law of returning directly from the United States to the colonies, a restriction which she required and expected that we should abolish. Upon each occasion, a limited and temporary advantage has been given to the opposite party, but an advantage of no importance in comparison with the restoration of mutual confidence and good feeling, and the ultimate establishment of the trade upon fair principles. It gives me unfeigned pleasure to assure you that this negotiation has been throughout characterized by the most frank and friendly spirit on the part of Great Britain, and concluded in a manner strongly indicative of a sincere desire to cultivate the best relations with the United States. To reciprocate this disposition to the fullest extent of my ability is a duty which I shall deem it a privilege to discharge. 
although the result is itself the best commentary on the services rendered to his country by our minister at the court of st james it would be doing violence to my feelings were i to dismiss the subject without expressing the very high sense i entertain of the talent and exertion which have been displayed by him on this occasion the injury to the commerce of the united states resulting from the exclusion of our vessels from the black sea and the previous footing of mere sufferance upon which even the limited trade enjoyed by us with turkey has hitherto been placed have for a long time been a source of much solicitude to this government and several endeavors have been made to obtain a better state of things sensible of the importance of the object i felt it my duty to leave no proper means unemployed to acquire for our flag the same privileges that are enjoyed by the principal powers of europe commissioners were consequently appointed to open a negotiation with the sublime porte not long after the member of the commission who went directly from the united states had sailed the account of the treaty of adrianopoli by which one of the objects in view was supposed to be secured reached this country the black sea was understood to be opened to us under the supposition that this was the case the additional facilities to be derived from the establishment of commercial regulations with the porte were deemed of sufficient importance to require a prosecution of the negotiation as originally contemplated it was therefore persevered in and resulted in a treaty which will be forthwith laid before the senate by its provisions a free passage is secured without limitations of time to the vessels of the united states to and from the black sea including the navigation thereof and our trade with turkey is placed on the footing of the most favored nation the latter is an arrangement wholly independent of the treaty of adrianopoli and the former derives much value not only from the increased security which under any circumstances it would give to the right in question but from the fact ascertained in the course of the negotiation that by the construction put upon that treaty by turkey the article relating to the passage of the bosphorus is confined to nations having treaties with the porte the most friendly feelings appear to be entertained by the sultan and an enlightened disposition is evinced by him to foster the intercourse between the two countries by the most liberal arrangements this disposition it will be our duty and interest to cherish our relations with russia are of the most stable character respect for that empire and confidence in its friendship toward the united states have been so long entertained on our part and so carefully cherished by the present emperor and his illustrious predecessor as to have become incorporated with the public sentiment of the united states no means will be left unemployed on my part to promote these salutary feelings and those improvements of which the commercial intercourse between the two countries is susceptible 
and which have derived increased importance from our treaty with the sublime Porte. I sincerely regret to inform you that our minister, lately commissioned to that court, on whose distinguished talents and great experience in public affairs I place great reliance, has been compelled by extreme indisposition to exercise a privilege which, in consideration of the extent to which his constitution had been impaired in the public service, was committed to his discretion of leaving temporarily his post for the advantage of a more genial climate. If, as it is to be hoped, the improvement of his health should be such as to justify him doing so, he will repair to St. Petersburg and resume the discharge of his official duties. I have received the most satisfactory assurances that in the meantime the public interest in that quarter will be preserved from prejudice by the intercourse which he will continue through the Secretary of Legation with the Russian Cabinet. You are apprised, although the fact has not yet been officially announced to the House of Representatives, that a treaty was in the month of March last concluded between the United States and Denmark, by which $650,000 are secured to our citizens as an indemnity for spoliations upon their commerce in the years 1808, 1809, 1810, and 1811. This treaty was sanctioned by the Senate at the close of its last session, and it now becomes the duty of Congress to pass the necessary laws for the organization of the Board of Commissioners to distribute the indemnity among the claimants. It is an agreeable circumstance in this adjustment that the terms are in conformity with the previously ascertained views of the claimants themselves, thus removing all pretense for a future agitation of the subject in any form. The negotiations in regard to such points in our foreign relations as remains to be adjusted have been actively prosecuted during the recess. Material advances have been made, which are of a character to promise favorable results. Our country, by the blessing of God, is not in a situation to invite aggression, and it will be our fault if she ever becomes so. Sincerely desirous to cultivate the most liberal and friendly relations with all, ever ready to fulfill our engagements with scrupulous fidelity, limiting our demands upon others to mere justice, holding ourselves ever ready to do unto them as we would wish to be done by, and avoiding even the appearance of undue partiality to any nation, it appears to me impossible that a simple and sincere application of our principles to our foreign relations can fail to place them ultimately upon the footing on which it is our wish they should rest. Of the points referred to, the most prominent are our claims upon France for spoliations upon our commerce, similar claims upon Spain, together with embarrassments in the commercial intercourse between the two countries which ought to be removed, the conclusion of the Treaty of Commerce and Navigation with Mexico, which has been so long in suspense, 
as well as the final settlement of limits between ourselves and that republic, and finally the arbitrament of the question between the United States and Great Britain in regard to the northeastern boundary. The negotiation with France has been conducted by our minister with zeal and ability, and in all respects to my entire satisfaction although the prospect of a favorable termination was occasionally dimmed by counter-pretensions to which the united states could not assent he yet had strong hopes of being able to arrive at a satisfactory settlement with the late government the negotiation has been renewed with the present authorities and sensible of the general and lively confidence of our citizens in the justice and magnanimity of regenerated france i regret the more not to have it in my power yet to announce the result so confidently anticipated no ground however inconsistent with this expectation has yet been taken and i do not allow myself to doubt that justice will soon be done us the amount of the claims the length of time they have remained unsatisfied and their incontrovertible justice make an earnest prosecution of them by this government in urgent duty the illegality of the seizures and confiscations out of which they have arisen is not disputed and whatever distinctions may have heretofore been set up in regard to the liability of the existing government it is quite clear that such considerations cannot now be interposed the commercial intercourse between the two countries is susceptible of highly advantageous improvements, but the sense of this injury has had, and must continue to have, a very unfavorable influence upon them. From its satisfactory adjustment, not only a firm and cordial friendship, but a progressive development of all their relations may be expected. It is therefore my earnest hope that this old and vexatious subject of difference may be speedily removed. I feel that my confidence in our appeal to the motives which should govern a just and magnanimous nation is alike warranted by the character of the French people and by the high voucher we possess for the enlarged views and pure integrity of the monarch who now presides over their councils, and nothing shall be wanting on my part to meet any manifestation of the spirit we anticipate in one of corresponding frankness and liberality the subjects of difference with spain have been brought to the view of that government by our minister there with much force and propriety and the strongest assurances have been received of their early and favorable consideration the steps which remained to place the matter in controversy between Great Britain and the United States fairly before the arbitrator have all been taken in the same liberal and friendly spirit which characterized those before announced. Recent events have doubtless served to delay the decision, but our minister at the court of the distinguished arbitrator has been assured that it will be made within the time contemplated by the treaty. I am particularly gratified in being able to state that a decidedly favorable and, as I hope, lasting change has been effected in our relations with the neighboring Republic of Mexico. The unfortunate and unfounded suspicions 
in regard to our disposition which it became my painful duty to advert to on a former occasion have been i believe entirely removed and the government of mexico has been made to understand the real character of the wishes and views of this in regard to that country the consequences is the establishment of friendship and mutual confidence such are the assurances i have received and i see no cause to doubt their sincerity i had reason to expect the conclusion of a commercial treaty with mexico in season for communication on the present occasion circumstances which are not explained but which i am persuaded are not the result of an indisposition on her part to enter into it have produced the delay there was reason to fear in the course of the last summer that the harmony of our relations might be disturbed by the acts of certain claimants under mexican grants of territory which had hitherto been under our jurisdiction the cooperation of the representative of mexico near this government was asked on the occasion and was readily afforded instructions and advice have been given to the governor of arkansas and the officers in command in the adjoining mexican state by which it is hoped the quiet of that frontier will be preserved until a final settlement of the dividing line shall have removed all ground of controversy the exchange of ratifications of the treaty concluded last year with austria has not yet taken place the delay has been occasioned by the non-arrival of the ratification of that government within the time prescribed by the treaty renewed authority has been asked for by the representative of austria and in the meantime the rapidly increasing trade and navigation between the two countries have been placed upon the most liberal footing of our navigation acts several alleged depredations have been recently committed on our commerce by the national vessels of portugal they have been made the subject of immediate remonstrance and reclamation i am not yet possessed of sufficient information to express a definitive opinion of their character but expect soon to receive it no proper means shall be omitted to obtain for our citizens all the redress to which they may appear to be entitled almost at the moment of the adjournment of your last session two bills the one entitled an act for making appropriations for building lighthouses light boats beacons and monuments placing buoys and for improving harbors and directing surveys and the other an act to authorize a subscription for stock in the louisville and portland canal company were submitted for my approval it was not possible within the time allowed for me before the close of the session to give to these bills the consideration which was due to their character and importance and i was compelled to retain them for that purpose i now avail myself of this early opportunity to return them to the houses in which they respectively originated with the reasons which after mature deliberation compel me to withhold my approval the practice of defraying out of the treasury of the united states the expenses incurred by the establishment and support of lighthouses beacons buoys and public piers within the bays inlets harbors and ports of the united states to render the navigation thereof safe and easy 
is coeval with the adoption of the Constitution, and has been continued without interruption or dispute. As our foreign commerce increased and was extended into the interior of the country by the establishment of ports of entry and delivery upon our navigable rivers, the sphere of those expenditures received a corresponding enlargement. Lighthouses, beacons, buoys, public piers, and the removal of sandbars, sawyers, and other partial or temporary impediments in the navigable rivers and harbors, which were embraced in the revenue districts from time to time established by law, were authorized upon the same principle, and the expense defrayed in the same manner, that these expenses have at times been extravagant and disproportionate is very probable. The circumstances under which they are incurred are well calculated to lead to such a result unless their application is subjected to the closest scrutiny. The local advantages arising from the disbursement of public money too frequently, it is to be feared, invite appropriations for objects of this character that are neither necessary nor useful. The number of lighthouse keepers is already very large, and the bill before me proposes to add to it fifty-one more of various descriptions, from representations upon the subject which are understood to be entitled to respect, I am induced to believe that there has not only been great improvidence in the past expenditures of the government upon these objects, but that the security of navigation has, in some instances, been diminished by the multiplication of lighthouses and consequent change of lights upon the coast. It is in this, as in other respects, our duty to avoid all unnecessary expense, as well as every increase of patronage not called for by the public service. But in the discharge of that duty, in this particular, it must not be forgotten that in relation to our foreign commerce, the burden and benefit of protecting and accommodating it necessarily go together, and must do so as long as the public revenue is drawn from the people through the Custom House. It is indisputable that whatever gives facility and security to navigation, cheapens imports, and all who consume them are alike interested in whatever produces this effect. If they consume, they ought, as they do now, to pay. Otherwise, they do not pay. The consumer in the most inland state derives the same advantage from every necessary and prudent expenditure for the facility and security of our foreign commerce and navigation that he does who resides in a maritime state. Local expenditures have not of themselves a corresponding operation. End of section 3